welcome back to our Brooklyn Bites. This is episode 77. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Leon. Now, Leon, what do you have for me this week? What good news do you have? <laughs> you always set me up. It's been a whole week yeah. since you last talked about your games. Yep. And you didn't talk about movies last week? No. I spared you. So, what, what's new? There's been movies, but I, I don't want to get into all those. It's, <laughs> no. it's, it's just too much. Uh, but I'll tell you about the game that I played so this week. What's the flavor of the week? The flavor of the week is Sega Saturn. And, uh, it's a bitter flavor for many people. Yeah, I, I think it's not everyone's favorite Sega system. Only a select few seem to like it. What's everyone's favorite? 32X? <laughs> everyone's favorite? I think it's split between Genesis and Dreamcast. I think that's where the allegiances lie, for the most part. Saturn has its specialties. It's, uh, you know, despite being a 32-bit system that competed head-to-head with the PlayStation, the original first-generation PlayStation and and the N64, where, you know, 3D gaming kind of took off in the console space. Uh, But, you know, the Saturn could do 3D, but it was also thought of as a 2D powerhouse. It was thought of as, like, you know, here's this machine that was originally kind of designed to be, like, a super 2D system, but then because of the looming emergence of 3D, the 3D capabilities were kind of bolted on in a sense. At least that's the impression that a lot of people seem to get from the system. So I thought I'd play one of the early 2D titles just to get an idea of, you know, maybe what passed by that I didn't, that I never got to try out. And one of those games was Astal, an early, early Fan title. favorite. You a think stall. so? Who made a stall? What company is this? A stall was developed internally at Sega, Sega of Japan. Um, hmm. It was released in April of '95 in Japan, following the November '94 launch of the Saturn. In the U.S., it came shortly after the launch. I think the Saturn launched in the U.S. in May of '95. So a stall was right around that time. It was I don't know. I've seen some. Some sites quote, um, you know, April uh, as well for for the U.S. release, but the system came out in May, so I don't know why the game would be in in April. So I'm going to think it was somewhere in the summertime time frame. You know, it's another 2D side-scrolling action platformer, and the story of this game is uh, something we're introduced with like a little. FMV anime like opening cinema describes uh, the goddess named uh, Antoas created the world from these gems and the world being some alien world or some imaginary world called Quartalia and um, from the last two gems that were left over she created two beings Uh, one of them was Astal the lead character and another one was uh, named Leda who's, uh, I guess, a, uh, sort of the female counterpart to, to Astal. Who, oh, what was your reason for picking this game? Uh, I oh. suppose I have, a, you know, sort of a, an affinity for mascot-based platformers. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I thought I'd try one that I hadn't played yet. Sure. Up to this point. Okay. <laughs> you seem to be questioning my decision. <laughs> it just seems like an odd choice. Uh-huh. Unless you had some kind of memory from back in the day, I thought that I uh, like, it was one of your first games that, for the Saturn that you picked up. Or... I, I remember picking it up, and I remember never playing it, okay. so right. that was pretty much my motivation. 
so yeah, so in terms of these two characters, Leda can create life and Astal protects Leda. That's their role in this game. Uh, but there's this demon, this demon named Gerardo, who was kind of jealous of this whole situation and created uh, an agent of his own named Geist to get rid of them so he could kind of rule the world instead. And a bunch more stuff happens in the story. I don't want to get too deep into it. But basically, Leda is now in danger, and it's up to Astal to rescue her. Now, the character of Astal himself, unfortunately, reminds me a little bit of a troll doll. He's kind of got that look. Yeah, he does look like that. Mm-hmm. He's got long, bushy, kind of reddish hair. What? Yeah. Weren't trolls kind of like that was the hot time where those... Uh, I feel like... Or was it a little bit later on? I don't really know. I forget if it was like 95 or 2000 or something. Mm-hmm. They've always been around. Maybe. So it's kind of kind of that similar look. Wild eyebrows. Um, in addition, there's this large green crystal in his chest. There's these red crystals on the back of his hands. And he's got shackles on his wrists. Um, he was apparently imprisoned at one point and he broke out. And that's what's kind of left over. He also, if you leave him idle too long, he'll start very loudly stomping his foot, waiting for you know more player input. Controls are seemingly simple. I mean, I, I when I played the game, I didn't really get too deep into a lot of these options. Basically, it's you know left, right, uh, movement, uh, down to duck, pushing up causes him to take a breath, inhale, take a very deep breath, and then when you, if you press the B button, which is the attack button, uh, he performs kind of a breath attack, hmm. sort of like Kirby would, you know, very reminiscent of that style. He also has a companion that floats around with him. He's got this bird that follows him around. And there's actions that the bird can perform. So there's simple attacks that the bird can do, and there's also special actions that he can perform depending on the situation. Uh, So the A button will call the bird to perform the action in the on-screen icon. There's actually an icon on the screen that tells you here's what the bird can do. There's also the B button, which I mentioned is just the attack button. And he can also pick up large objects with that same kind of... The bird? Uh, a stall can, oh, okay. can pick up large things. Sometimes you're walking along and mm-hmm. there's a large obstacle in your path and you can actually lift it up and carry it. And there's also a C button to jump. Um, the XYZ buttons are used to control the bird, to either make him search for an item or even attack or just perform some you know special... Uh, situation depending on what the situation is he can he can do something to make things happen uh, the shoulder buttons are used to sort of select the different actions sometimes you can cycle through the things that he can do there's also a dash action if you you know double tap you can jump up and then attack in midair so that's kind of this uh, midair attack that he can do so there's also a ground attack if you st- press down and press the attack button he'll punch the ground and a lot of times the enemies will get stunned or defeated that way the, so the screen itself, the, the like sort of status part of the screen is very busy. There's a lot of stuff there. And to be honest, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it while I was playing. It, you know, I mean, I read the description of what everything does. Um, but during the actual gameplay, I really didn't pay that close attention to it. It didn't, didn't really seem to be that necessary. It seemed like there was a lot of extra complication for no real payoff, you know. There is a two-player option in this game, too. I mean, I obviously played it single, but there is a two-player co-op option where the second player can control the bird. Okay. 
And there's a couple of additional moves that can be done if the you know if the, another player is doing them. There's even a combination move where a stall and the bird can do something together at the same time. A little bit like how Tails would follow Sonic, or yeah, you can think of it almost in that way. The, the the wolf and Shinobi or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the game starts off in this fantasy-like forest-looking setting. Um, the graphics look. I, I would say the graphics give me this impression of hand-drawn artwork, but that but that artwork has been digitized almost. It's not like it was drawn in like a pixel art style. It was almost like it was hand-drawn and then digitized into the game. So that effect, I feel, combined with kind of the pastel watercolor-looking palette that they used for a lot of the scenery, um, gives it like a very dreamlike quality. It almost seems like a fairy tale because of this art style. Now, oddly enough, Astal <laughs> speaks both English and Japanese. <laughs> this was a Japanese-developed game, uh, so all the original voices and sound effects, you know, like the, the kind of the grunts and the screams that char- the character would do, were recorded in Japanese, but then when it was brought over into English, the dialogue was translated, all the stuff in the cutscenes, you know, it was given an, uh, a normal English-speaking voice. But in the game itself... The game will start off with him explaining, like, uh, exclaiming, like, Ikuzo, which in Japanese means let's go, or ready to go, or let's do this, you know? it's kind of weird. It's kind of just a way to start off. Um, at the end of a level, he'll yell out, Yata, you know, for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I did it, or, you know, I made it, kind of a thing. <sighs> so, a lot, throughout this game, everything, all these creatures are kind of crystal based. This is this whole this whole game has a crystal theme going on. So initially you have these insect like creatures that you're fighting, uh, but they're all kind of have, you know, like crystal in, like in their in their designs embedded in their bodies or otherwise just, you know, remind you of that. The full title of this game in Japanese is actually it translates as Bright Crystal Legend Astal. That's like the the kind of the header that's in front of the title. So Initially, I start off just by myself, uh, you know, a style just start, sort of starts off, but then runs into the bird in a cage. So the bird is now with him at the very beginning. Um, he's trapped in a cage. He rescues the bird. But then he says, get away from me, you stupid bird. Quit, quit following me. Right. Uh, uh, he seems to have a bit of a foul temper, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I think is part of the reason he got chained up in the be- in, to begin with. Uh-huh. And, of course, this is one of the crucial ingredients in creating a 90s mascot. I think you gotta have lots of bad attitude. So, I think... This was still the 90s, okay. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. This is mid-90s, so, of course, you have a character... Well, well, when it starts, does the Sega logo scream or anything? Uh, No, pretty plain. Pretty pretty ordinary. I don't think the Saturn did that a whole whole lot. okay. At least not, not that I remember. So, yeah, I do run into, like, an obstacle, like a tree, sort of, in my path um, that can be ripped up and thrown to, like, wipe out all the enemies ahead. So there's a few opportunities to do that. Uh, the next level is called Into the Darkness. It's in a, set in a cave. Um, nice kind of dimming and glowing effect with the lighting. Um, the enemies here are a little more pig-like. And they also have, like, a charge-up uh, punch that they do. They kind of telegraph their move a little bit. So punching the ground is pretty useful against those type of enemies since getting too close to them, they'll end up usually landing the first the first punch. Other dangers here includes these weird flying eyeball monsters that, that uh, pass overhead. They kind of come at me in like a swarm, almost like bats. So that leads directly into 
level three, which is called the evil eye. And it's a fight with one of the eyeball bats that appear overhead. You know, a lot of uh, midair punches work well against that one. And at the end of that, I get an animated cutscene. And now the cutscenes in the game typically are kind of a panorama. They're not usually fully animated. Usually it's just like a still shot of just some artwork. And usually there's some kind of voiceover explaining, you know, like what happened or, you know, what's going to kind of happen next. So in the first one, uh, Leda is being taken by this blonde haired character that looks kind of like a stall. And I believe that is Geist, the sort of the henchman of, of the demon in this game. Usually also in, I should say, in the opening animation for the game, there was a lot of hints about the boss characters. So this, is, this was interesting that if you actually watch the animation and pay attention to it, you'll see some of the boss characters that you have to fight in the game. And there's also some hints there about how to beat them. And the manual actually points this out. I didn't realize this at first. I went back and watched it again. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. It's... <laughs> some, some, some tips here. Pays to read the manual sometimes. Uh, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> so after that, I move into this area called the Deep Forest. And this one is more like rock formation based. There's a lot of gaps now and, and a lot more platforming to do. Um, there's water below. So usually I want to avoid falling in there. There's a lot of bird-like enemies here, and you can use them as platforms. You can actually hop on top of them, and it kind of temporarily stuns them in place. So they can be used to, to create like temporary platforms to be able to jump over some of these gaps. <laughs> There's actually a really weird enemy that shows up here, and he kind of makes this very strange noise, like kind of this murmuring sound, and it has one long arm that kind of hangs below him. And what he does is... He'll come by, and he actually snatches the bird and like takes him away. And the bird that's following you, yeah, the bird, your your bird pal is is snatched by this this creature, whatever it is, and um, it actually starts to drain away your karma. I should mention that as you defeat enemies, they drop crystals, and then you kind of absorb those crystals. It kind of happens automatically; you don't have to go and chase them down. But there's this meter along the bottom of the of the screen that builds up uh, this karma energy. And use that to actually perform the bird's attacks, whatever the bird needs. So basically, you know, it's a way to keep the bird from being infinitely powerful. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of build up his energy. So, yeah. So if this creature manages to snatch the bird away, he starts to drain away your karma that you've built up. So, yeah, until you get the bird back, you have to basically defeat him to get to free the bird. So he can follow you again. How many times does that happen? It actually doesn't happen all that much. I mean, it happens in this level, and he kind of shows up in a few others, but it's not really a threat throughout most of the game. It just kind of randomly shows up, it seems. The next area is called River of Dreams, and this is set in an underground cavern. Uh, This one is peculiar. It's a little different from most of the other stages in the game because uh, I'm riding down a river on uh, kind of this dragon-like creature on his back. You know, the screen's kind of auto-scrolling, so there's not as much control here. I have have to avoid enemies, and I have to also avoid these plant obstacles that are in the way. Now, punching down onto the the dragon's back causes him to lunge forward, and you can kind of prompt him to attack for you. Uh, It also bounces a style up into the air, so sometimes that's useful in avoiding certain obstacles. Um, There really isn't a way to fall off of him. I don't know if there's a way to fall forward. I feel like if you get ahead of him, maybe, because he's kind of riding on the water. But I don't think so. For the most part, it's pretty safe. 
so the following this stage is uh, another boss battle with this time with a large plant that can release these seeds that become plants that explode pretty easy just have to knock it in its head a couple of times and that leads to another cutscene with um, the demon Gerardo saying some stuff about how Astal will never find Leda and you know good luck you shouldn't even try kind of a thing this leads into the volcanic valley and as you might expect this is the signature fire level for the game um, the pig-like enemies are summoned from these flame spouts. There's like flame that appear in the in the ground. And this is where the kind of the breath weapon comes into play, the breath attack. Um, there's also these large snakes that are made of flame and the breath can be used to blow those away. As far as the, the pig creatures, you have to use your breath to cool them down before you can attack them because otherwise they're on fire and you know will damage you first. There's also naturally a volcano exploding and rocks falling from the sky so there's like a little area where i have to avoid uh, rocks that are falling and uh, at the end astal lifts this giant boulder and he throws it at the volcano and it kind of caps the volcano and that closes things out um i should say these these levels are really short extremely short okay i mean you can get through them and so it's not like 1-1 1-2 1-3 it's just one yeah level and that's it? yeah and, and not only that but they're they're actually there's just not a lot of space on them this they're very they're fairly small there's not a lot of enemies and get through most of these levels in like a minute or two hmm. uh, yeah it's quick really quick a lot of variety in the levels or um like do you get like all weird enemies or just basically what you're mentioning is what you see pretty much i mean there's really only maybe like maybe two or three varieties per level mm-hmm. So, not too crazy. But typically, as is typical with these type of games, um, you know, the the enemies kind of reflect the environment in some way. You know, they're kind of fitting, which I guess makes sense. There's another boss fight following this uh, with a large fiery dragon. It's a little weird, though, because what happens is it lands, and its head actually detaches from its body, and it starts floating around the screen. So meanwhile, it's all on fire because it's, you know, it's the, it's, it's the fire dragon. It's called the guardian of fire. Okay. <laughs> and um, what happens is the way to defeat this one is to use the breath attack to blow off the flames on its body because the body is stationary while the head is flying around, like spewing flames out. So what happens is if you blow on the body, the flames go out and it exposes its body, which is just like skeleton somehow. It's like just a skeleton. I guess there's no flesh. And, uh, you know, running into it and punching it, um, is the way to, you know, you're punching the skeleton, you're punching the skeleton and that's how you damage this creature. And then it kind of resets and it goes through that pattern a few times. The attacks that Estal does for the most part is he'll grab onto an enemy and throw him over his shoulder. That's usually how, that's usually what happens when you attack an enemy. That's how I attack my enemies. It is, right? Mm -hmm. Ah, I'm lucky I've never experienced Mm -hmm. that. Oh, you're on my good side for now. <laughs> That's what I thought. I should test you out, though. I want to see what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see when we're done. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I move on to this area called the Sea of Clouds. And this evolve, involves uh, hopping across floating uh, platforms with, you know, these stormy clouds in the background. Some of the platforming here is a little tough, though. There's a lot of multiple moving platforms to try to get across. And the special action that the bird can do helps a lot on this stage because here what he can do is freeze certain platforms in place. And that's uh, pretty good 
to help uh, with some of the movement, especially because some some of the platforms are between like dangerous enemies that are hard to defeat. So by freezing it, it kind of creates a pathway through that. This is followed immediately by another boss fight, and it's called the Behemoth. Is the name of the stage. I'm not really sure how to describe this creature. Um, it's a bit like a ram. It looks like a like a like a large ram with fiery horns. And he can flex them, though. The horns are flexible. They're kind of on fire, and mm-hmm. he can dig them into the ground. And the idea is to just kind of get near him and flip him over when the horns are not in the way. Because the, because the flames are burning. I mean, though the horns are burning, they'll, they'll do damage if you run into them. So the idea is to just to catch him off guard when, you know, when they're not in, in the way. Now, when defeated, his horns disintegrate away and he's left cringing. I actually felt a little bad about this, beating this boss. He kind of seems really sad about being defeated. <laughs> um, the following cutscene shows Leda pleading to Astal to stop scaring everyone and, and try <laughs> being compassionate or something, you know? Even she thinks he's, like, a bit too yeah. mean. <laughs> And he, what is he? He's just like, no, man, this is the 90s. <laughs> he almost comes off that way. So the next area is called Glacial Rift. And since there was a fire level, now we've got the ice level. A lot of falling snow piles to avoid. Um, there's these weird green gargoyles that can hop around. There's also these flat insects that kind of like stay low to the ground until you're near them. And then they jump up and start crawling very quickly. Um, there's a couple of slippery ice patches, but that's usually not too, you know, nothing really to worry about. Um, of course, there's a collapsing ice bridge. As you walk across it, the bridge is collapsing behind you, and you got to make sure you run across okay. to get across it. And uh, this leads to uh, another stage called the Crystal Palace. And there's a lot of crystal columns here to get across. The columns start to kind of tip over when I jump on them. So it kind of creates a situation where you're you're leaping from one column to the next as they you know as you land they start to tip over, and uh, staying at the top of this level is really tricky. But there is an there is a level below that if you don't manage to stay on the column, which I didn't. <laughs> there is a there's you know like uh, another kind of pathway uh, below, but it's a little more dangerous. There's more enemies down there. There's a series of spikes to get past and. Uh, striking them causes them to stand still temporarily because the spikes come down out of the ceiling and then crash into the ground and go back up. So hitting them will actually cause them to freeze temporarily. Below, Before the end of this level, the bird knocks down a, sal- a set of uh, stalactites from the ceiling to create uh, you know, a bridge across a lava pool. That's another. That's his special action for that area. And he does that automatically, or you have to... Assign? No, you have to use the okay. special action feature okay. of the bird to get him to do that. He's not going to do that for you. So immediately following this is uh, a battle with, I'm assuming is the name of the creature, is Frostbite. That's the name of the stage. This is a weird boss fight where Astal actually gets encased in a crystal and gets wrapped up by this mess of a creature. I don't know if it's like tentacles or something, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but basically he's embedded in a crystal and this creature is wrapped around him. And here the bird is, is left to try to free Astal. So you control the bird on this stage, trying to free him by kind of pecking and clawing at the crystal. Um, in between the boss spins around like a tornado and he's dropping these crystal bombs. But after the fight is over, Astal says the bird reminds him of someone and the cutscene explains some more of the past, just gives you some more background basically. 
This leads to the Plains of Destiny, the next area. And this is kind of in a more of like a desert-like environment. Uh, there's a few giant bug creatures here that are stomping around. They're very large, very big sprites. You have to kind of walk under its legs, in between its legs. It's kind of moving in a, in a steady pattern. Not too terrible, but, you know, these are called megapedes, by the way. Uh, this is followed by a segment where one of them is chasing you from behind. You have to sort of deal with enemies in your pathway as you get to the end. At the end, this, you know, again, this this geist, this mysterious shadow creature is uh, hurling these dark crystals towards the screen from the background. So that's kind of a nice 3D effect. Uh, this leads to another stage called Destiny Unfolds. This same creature again appears here. He's the opponent. And I feel like this is really the first time the game is actually difficult. <laughs> actually facing off against uh, Geist is, is kind of tough. So first of all, he has this long exposition. He explains that um, every monster in the game that I've fought so far is really a part of Gerardo, and I'm helping him to gain power by defeating them. So he throws more crystals at the screen, uh, as well as like summoning uh, crystals to throw horizontally. And at 50% health, uh, the, there's a, a large rock platform that we're fighting on. And of course, falling off the edge is bad. But uh, after that, the platform moves up above the clouds and he starts to dive bomb at me. He's, he's, you know, a, his style of attack continues to evolve throughout the fight. Depending on his hit point level? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when it gets a little lower, he starts changing up his attacks a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's especially difficult. I mean, basically, you know, these, these crystals appear, they start to form like a lightning bolt pattern, and you have to kind of run away from them at the right time to try to catch him. He, he'll descend to the edge of the platform to attack me, and that's really the only time that I have to fight him. But it's hard because you try to... You try to move in the direction you think he's going to appear on, because he could appear either on the left or the right. But and he, you know, like starts off in the middle, and as soon as you think he's going to move one way, if you move too fast, he'll actually change direction and go to the other side of the screen. Mm. So there is a bit of a timing thing here that you have to kind of move at just the right moment to try to catch him. Now, after this fight, we shoot off to another kind of floating palace that shows that appears in the background. This leads to the final fight in the game, which is called uh, the Fight for the Future. And Gerardo shows up. He's this large, like, foul-looking demon creature. He says he's disappointed in Geist for not defeating Astal. He turns him into a dark crystal and then shatters him. So I guess that's the end of Geist. (laughs) Wow. Uh, He then imprisons the bird, but Astal attacks and is able to free the bird at that point. The fight begins with Gerardo in the background behind the platform that I'm on. It's not quite as um, dangerous as the previous fight, because at least this one doesn't have the risk of falling off the edge. So he forms these crystal dragons to fly at me, but they're pretty easy to, to grab and slam. I mean, you could so either... This isn't really an action stage, right? It's mostly a boss? You go right into another um, boss fight? Yeah, it's another boss fight. Okay. So this is like the final boss, though. Okay. So he throws these these dragons at my at me. I can either smash them or grab them. You know, the typical attack works. Uh, but occasionally, what he'll do is he'll he'll summon a large tree in the center of the screen, which I can rip up out of the ground and pick it up and throw it back at him. And that's the way to damage him. And at fifty percent health, he'll come closer. He'll start doing punch attacks where he'll start to like directly try to 
punch me off the screen. <laughs> He'll throw boulders. Um, he also starts teleporting when I'm holding the tree. A lot of you know the, that's really the only way to hit him back is to throw the tree at him. <laughs> But he'll start bouncing around, making it a little harder to hit him. So after defeating him, uh, a swarm of demon heads like uh, erupts out of this chasm that's behind the platform I'm on. Unsurprisingly, the bird is revealed to be Leda herself. Oh. <laughs> um, a little plot twist. A little, a little bit of a twist. Uh, this is this is something that uh, Dorado had done, I guess, to imprison her. Turned her into the bird. And the goddess appears again and says the world is left to Astal and Leda to bring happiness to everyone. And um, I guess the implication almost is like they're almost like Adam and Eve. They're like the first man and woman that the goddess created. And then, you know, it was stated in the beginning that she has the power to create life. So I guess that's what they're getting at here. So pretty short game. Didn't take a whole lot of time to get through. I'd say it's a very nice art style. It's good quality animation in terms of, you know, the actual character movements. The game does have some scaling tricks where it zooms out a bit from the action, depending on the stage you're on. But the sprites start to look a little rough when it does that. It's not like they they didn't redraw the art to look good at a small size. Mm -hmm. Because you could, I guess because of the limited resolution, all it did was shrink the sprite down. So so you have... Pixels look a little malformed. Yeah, it looks a little blocky. Mm -hmm. Not too good detail there. But overall, still kind of a nice game to look at. Um, the music, it's all CD audio. It's good, but it's nothing outstanding. It just sounds like very... very Is it like kind rock of, or what kind of like style? Um, Is it like orchestra I'd, stuff? It's, it's kind of... I'd say it's like very, very FM digital sounding, oh. but, but in a very, um, you know, but it's like orchestrated. It's like a very high quality, like, like the kind you would get from a performance keyboard, not from, All right. you know, mm-hmm. like a, like a, not like a chiptune style sound chip, you know, it's, it's very like fairy tale. It's very appropriate for the type of graphics that, that are presented in the game. I would say overall, it's, it's just not very memorable. The controls though, I got to say, the controls, I think, were probably the most problematic part of the game. They're not that great. I mean, the character feels kind of sluggish, especially when I have to change direction quickly. This became very apparent in the later boss fights where I had to, like, the bosses would change direction depending on what I was doing. And it took me a long time to sort of be able to turn around. There's a lot of in-between steps and him, like, looking the other way. I don't know. I, I think that was maybe my chief complaint overall. The game never appeared on any on any other platform. Uh, it didn't have any f- follow-ups or sequels either. So this remains a Saturn exclusive up to this point. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember it being on any collection either. No, it never was re-released in any other format. So the actual cell animation that was done in the early cutscenes for the game was done by a pretty big animation studio in Japan called TMS. Um, they actually did a lot of... I mean, they have a huge list of of series that they worked on. So they worked on a lot of Japanese shows and a lot of even shows for American television at the time. Uh, So hopefully the footage is preserved somewhere for a high-quality release someday because it does look good. It just suffers a little bit from the Saturn's video compression, which was not that great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I looked on eBay for this game just to see what the availability is like. Uh, It looks like a loose disc goes for about $15 or $20. A uh, complete copy of the game is somewhere around 45 to 50 in completed auctions. Uh, the Japanese version is actually a little cheaper. 
So those prices were for a U.S. copy, but you can get a Japanese version for about 30 bucks. Um, you won't actually miss much, except for some of the dialogue, but the gameplay doesn't really require any language. Now, interestingly, the spine of the U.S. copy of this game is actually blank. There's nothing printed on it. So it has that, that white background that is used for all the Saturn games. But That's unusual. But yeah, there's no logo and there's no printed text mistake, on it. Printing mistake? Maybe. I'm going to assume so. Yeah, I would think so. So if you're ever browsing a bunch of Saturn games, and if you see a blank one, that's a stall. They never fix that issue? No, I don't think so. Odd. Yeah. Odd. Exactly. I would say, I wouldn't call this game a must-play, but it's certainly interesting if you want to experience, like, an exclusive. Well, yeah, for Sega exclusive. I don't remember particularly enjoying this game Mm -hmm. when I played it. It It was an early title release, so... I think I was, at the time, I was thinking, oh, I think there's better Genesis games than this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Boogerman, whatever was out at the time. Right. Do you feel like this was Sega's, like, rush attempt to get a Sonic-type game out on the market? Well, there definitely wasn't a Sonic Knights game ready. There was no Sonic. Right. Knights, I believe, was like a year later, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, what else was there? A Clockwork Knight? Yeah. It's like the only other platformer. Right. Bug. Without... Yeah, that was kind of 3D, though. Yeah, right. So that, was, that wasn't, like, platformer 2D stuff. Mm-hmm. Rayman, maybe? But Rayman wasn't from them. It wasn't a Sega game. Yeah, it, it was on there, though. So that was... I mean, that's probably a, definitely a better game to play. Rayman, yeah. Um, certainly a lot more difficult, too. <laughs> but, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it a, a definite play this, but I'd say just, you know try it out if you if you're bored or looking for yeah i mean so short like you know in an hour or two you can probably beat it yep definitely Mm -hmm. Hmm. all right maybe you can tell me about your games for this week well let me ask you first how would you say you rate yourself among the many rock boshers in the world uh i'm gonna say are you bosh a good rock I'm going to put it at zero because I've never done that. Have you ever even heard of that term before? Uh, I feel like I've heard of the title, but I don't really know what it means. I mean, it's a game, but I never heard of boshing before. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I couldn't, I don't, I don't know. I, I looked it up in the English dictionary and it didn't come up as a word. So they might have just made it up for this game. <laughs> unless right. it's some kind of like European thing, slang word or something. They needed a term they can copyright maybe or trademark. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's very possible. This game is called Rock Boshers DX, Director's mm-hmm. Cut Edition. Hmm. Now, there was an original version. I had trouble finding any info out about it. I went to the developer site. I looked online. So, this is from TikiPod. They made this game, uh, released it in 2014. It's on PS4, Vita, and PC. I played it on PS4. This one is a pretty cheap game, anyway. It's a a, a top-down dual-stick shooter. For the most part, it does change in some scenes, but for the most part, it's it's a top-down. One of the first things you'll notice in this game is its art style. You have two ways to play this game. It's uh, like an NES 8-bit color palette, or you can choose a reduced color palette based on the ZX Spectrum. Hmm. It's a very... it's they, I think they call it like computer or something like that, color style, but it's that very like 16-color palette or maybe even 8-color and, like, the sprites will have a black border around them because you can't, like, overlap, uh-huh. you know, sprites and stuff. Like, very, like, low-res sort of stuff. 
I played it. I, I alternated my graphic styles as I played the game just to get an idea of what it looks like. And um, I kind of like the old graphic style, but okay, it does make it a little bit hard to understand what's going on because the pixels are very small. Does do the colors like magenta and cyan feature? Uh, those are very prominent colors. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of magenta, uh-huh. and a lot of cyan. Okay, thought so. Uh, the game is a, like a old style four by three format. So if you're playing widescreen, it's not going to fill your screen. Um, it al- it's also a reduced resolution. So the default is a small, not small, but it's you're going to have a big black border around your screen when you play it. But you can, in the options, expand it to like double the size to fill the screen. Mm-hmm. So that'll eliminate the, the bottom and top borders, but you're still going to have the side borders because it's a it's not a, a 16 by 9 game. And so, you know, I mean, it's super obvious that they're going for this real retro style of gameplay. Uh, you have two options to play. There's a adventure mode, and then you have a battle mode. The battle mode is a multiplayer, I think up to four players, sort of like an arena-style combat game. You know, I didn't get to play it because I, I tried to test it, but it seemed I needed more controllers, so <laughs> okay. I couldn't test that out. But um, adventure mode is like the real game that, you know, you'll probably be the single player, you know. Uh, the first thing you'll notice, which I think you'll probably get a kick out of, knowing, you know, your background in computers and stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if you didn't play it with a Spectrum, because this is based on Spectrum hardware, you'll get a loading screen when you start the game. And it'll have the, like, diskette loading sound of the game actually loading with a timer at the bottom. <laughs> and it actually, like, is the full, like, game loading, like, three minutes. And you're waiting for, like... And as it's loading... You'll see, you hear like the dee 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 like that kind of like <laughs> old, really old diskette style. Is you that... could skip over it. Yeah. If you tap the button, you can skip over it. But it was kind of funny just sitting there and waiting like 30 seconds and the game's still going. I'm like, this is really weird to like experience this so many years I was going to say, like, is that optional? <laughs> it, it, yeah. You can show. It only happens when you first start the game mm-hmm. as like a new quest, you know, like a brand new adventure. But yeah, you just hit the X button, you can skip it. But I don't know, I got a kick out of that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely modeled off the Spectrum because it has like the little rainbow at the bottom of the screen to uh-huh. look like. But they don't actually use, you know, ZX anywhere or anything like that. So the story behind this game is you are a character. Her name is Queen Victoria. And she is tired of her royal duties. So she sneaks away in search of adventure. And she finds a, she finds a planet Mars, which is recently colonized. And, uh, you know, I guess this is where adventure is for some mm-hmm. reason. Makes sense. <laughs> in this world. So upon arrival on, on Mars, she gets double-crossed. And they force her. I guess people don't like her <laughs> as the queen. So they force her to work in the Martian mines. And I guess this is where the, the word bosh comes in. Because mm-hmm. they, they use the term, you have to bosh the rocks. Okay. And, you know, your first level is in this, like, sort of underground minefield mm. and there's other characters who were there already who I guess have also been captured and they're just mining the rocks you know or they say they're boshing them you mm-hmm. know <laughs> <laughs> so as as your character you have to fight your way out and get to the surface of this of the planet hmm did so she did she let them know that like hey I, I was tired of my duties anyway you don't no need to like put me to work or imprison me or anything uh they, they do have a little bit of animation sequence uh-huh. but it doesn't go too deep into mm. storyline like that it's pretty quick okay and it's more or less the only time you get to see a detailed story like that mm-hmm. um there's a little bit of dialogue and the, there's some char- character dialogue in the very beginning 
when you're on your little spaceship. And then you'll get the animation sequence. And then you'll have, the like, the first two levels is when you'll have, like, little miners on the screen and they talk to you. That's kind of it for the rest of the game. You don't really have any more dialogue after that, except the very end. Mm. So there's 24 stages separated into three levels. So rather than going through all the stages, I'll just kind of describe uh, some of the things about the game, the detail about it. Uh, you have some enemies in your way to get to the exit on these boards. Mm-hmm. These these are single-screen levels, so what you what you can fit on the screen is all you see. Okay. There's no, like, scrolling or anything like that. They're pretty simple. You have... So the enemies can range from easy to annoying. <laughs> I'm going to say annoying for a reason. <laughs> so you start out with, some, like, simple ones. Like zo- They're called zombies. And, you know, keep in mind, these are just, like, really simple pixels. Not as simple as, like, Atari 2600, but very early 8-bit computer. So the yellow zombies, and, and then you have stronger yellow zombies, which take more multiple hits to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they're zombies just because they're just wandering, like, aimlessly. Then you start getting into, like, the guards of the mine, and you have red guards, which will shoot at you, and there's also blue guards, which will shoot... They'll shoot at you also, but they shoot these big balls of, like... They're just, like, circular objects that are homing, so they'll, ch- they'll continue to chase after you on the board, so you have to shoot these missiles coming at you. And the annoying thing about the guards are, if you go to shoot them, they'll actually try to evade your bullets. Mm. So when you shoot, they'll like, they'll jump backwards, or they'll, they'll roll backwards. And if you can hit them, that's good. If not, then you have to like sort of kind of chase after them and keep shooting like in a stream of bullets. Mm-hmm. Some other enemies you'll experience are they call them bunnies in the game, and I'm not sure why they don't um, they don't they look like like little yellow cars. <laughs> okay. The only uh, thing is when you kill them, they squeal, and that's I guess I don't know why they don't explain much more than that. Uh, they're pretty simple, but they bounce around a lot, but they're pretty easy. Mm. There's brains that you have to kill, and the brains look like, like blobs of red meat. <laughs> and they just they also kind of bounce around. They're a little bit slower than the bunnies. Um, actually, no, they're quicker than the bunnies, but they take um, a couple of more shots to kill. There's uh, construction vehicles that'll sometimes be wandering the mines, and those are like instant death if you run into them. They have big drill bits in front of them. There are turrets on a lot of the levels, which will shoot at you if you're within range. There's a green turret, which will shoot a homing missile, a rocket at you. Hmm. And the green turrets, you'll find on some of the levels, you'll have to use them to your advantage. Uh, when it fires the missile, you'll see like a number, and it'll count down like the seconds, like 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And when it gets to 1, then at, then this, the, the homing missile will stop it's moving its direction. Like, it'll stop being a heat-seeking missile and just fly, like, mm-hmm. in a straight line. Okay, so kind of lost kinda, its target. Yeah, and then you can kind of use that to its advantage, to, to your advantage, like, to kill other things. Mm-hmm. You have these things called diamonds, which are literally diamond-shaped objects. When you shoot at them, they, they release a four-way blast of, like... It looks like a little Tylenol that comes out of it. <laughs> it's like a rotating Tylenol, but uh-huh. it'll destroy anything in its path as it scrolls across the screen. Those little, like, Tylenol things, those pills that it shoots out, they're pretty slow, so you have, you have time to avoid them. They, they're they annoying, but you only see them on, like, two or three levels. They're not really uh, a major character. Uh, another annoying enemy, they don't really have names, but it's like a one-eyed centipede. Mm. And he... I don't like bugs. No. So you may not like that. Maybe it's a millipede. <laughs> it could be a millipede. I don't know. Uh-huh. But this one will follow you across the screen. It's also... A lot of these enemies are heat seekers. They just, like, keep following you. 
And you can't kill it. So this is like one of the most annoying things about mm. this game. You have to... In the beginning, I had a lot of trouble with this because I didn't understand what was going on. But you have to just learn the patterns of how the the, millip- or the centipede runs across the screen and learn to wrap it, its body around things. Like, um, because it's a long, like, snake-like thing, uh-huh. it, ha- it has to... It can't just turn corners quickly. It has to, like, sort of give itself its body room to like rewrap against something else and okay. have you ever played like a game snake or something like you know how mm-hmm. you can't you can't make like sudden turns all the time because you'll be running into yourself so it has right. to you know and it makes those right angles so it, you know it's it takes a little bit of practice but is that um, how you beat it you don't beat it no you just have to, you just have to, you have to clear it. the level yeah <laughs> oh, okay so you, you're you're studying the, the level and the levels can be a little maze-like sometimes and at the same time, you can't really stand still ever because this thing's constantly chasing you. Mm-hmm. So you're moving around, avoiding like enemies. And, and keep in mind, I didn't, I didn't address this, but enemies respawn. So when you kill an enemy, it's kind of like Gauntlet where there'll be these little like respawn points mm-hmm. and the enemies will just keep pouring out. The more you kill, like the more they'll just keep issuing them. And you can't get rid of those respawn points. Hmm. So it, it makes, it, it's, makes the game more frantic than it probably needs to be. That's sort of one of my complaints about it. You end up having to do the level over and over again because there's not one moment where you can just like stop and stare at the screen and say, okay, now what do I have to do on this level? How do I, how do I get to the exit? You know, where are the keys or whatever I have to do? I'll go through some of the stages real fast, just overviews. Level one, lower minds. It starts off with just some tutorial on how the game plays and a lot of that dialogue stuff, which I, I spoke about. Mm. You'll also learn... Uh, that you have to collect snacks in the game. Oh, that sounds good. It sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> There's three snacks. There's a tea, a scone, or a piece of cheese. Hmm. Every level has one of each. Mm-hmm. Completely optional. You don't have to get them. But you'll probably want to get them because if you'll unlock the arcade mode if you get enough of them. And I'll, I'll talk about that at the end. Hmm. A lot of these times, these snacks are not visible. So you have to kind of destroy like rocks and stuff with your gun. And, 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 you know, kind of uncover them. Mm-hmm. Or they might be hiding um, in a hidden wall, maybe. So, you know, sometimes they're pretty easy to find. Sometimes I had trouble locating them. You know, you, in the first levels, too, you'll learn that crates and crates and boulders can be destroyed. And then you'll also start collecting keys, which will open doors. And the keys are color-coordinated. So you'll get, like, the white key to open up white doors and so on. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times, they don't give you... Like, you'll have to get, like, one color key in order to reveal the location of the next key. Mm-hmm. So you have to do things in a, in a certain order. You also discover that you're being timed on every stage. But the timer is not something that works against you. It's mostly for, like, high score. It usually tells you, like, what the best time is. And then if you want to try to beat that time, like, just do a speed run, you can. But I didn't see any, other than leaderboards, I didn't see any option, you know, like, reason to do, to want to, like, race to finish the level. <laughs> Uh, level two in the upper mines, you'll get into rooms that uh, have buttons on the floors, and some of the buttons will be like on a timer where you step on it and it'll unlock something. And you have to try to like do it really fast. Mm. Some uh, buttons will activate traps, or some buttons will be on a, uh, like a like a round timer. Every they'll give you like four sets of buttons, and every time you hit a button, will like release another set of enemies and you have to keep surviving each round of enemies that you, every time you step on the button mm-hmm. until you step on it like 16 times and that'll be like the last round oh wow and then you'll complete then you'll unlock the door that sounds like a lot yeah it's almost like an arena combat sort of thing uh-huh. so those are not 
the most fun levels. <laughs> but um, there's like at least two of those. But wait, are you like if you step on it again before you're done with that round, does it release the next round before you're done with clearing the ones that? Well, so the way it works is usually there's like four buttons, mm-hmm. so you have to step on one and then you have to walk over to the next button to step on another. And you can release, you can keep releasing all the enemies, but you're going to have a screen, you'll die. Yeah, because, that's what I mean. Yeah, it just becomes So there is that threat. Yeah, I mean, just just pressing it once is usually pretty tough. And mm. then the enemies get progressively harder the okay. more. So the last stage here is an auto-scroll, and you're, uh, you're on an elevator a- ascending upwards, mm-hmm. and you're now, so like, like I mentioned, most of the levels are top-down, but this level is now uh, a side view. And you're shooting upwards, and then this is where you fight. I think this is your first boss fight here, and it's like this UFO, and then he shoots rockets at you. It's a pretty tough level. My advice is, I had a lot of trouble on this level. Any special weapons you find, don't waste them on the enemies. Save them for the boss, because the boss takes, I think it takes about 12 rockets to kill. Mm-hmm. So I never even tried. I tried killing with the gun, and it seemed impossible. So um, definitely save your rockets for him. This final stage is the tower, you know, the last eight levels here. You're starts off, you're riding a tank now, you're in a vehicle. It's still the same format of the stage, but you're in this tank. And the good thing about the tank is you can run over the zombies. You don't have to worry about them, you just smash into them. And a lot of the the red guards and the blue guards, uh, they shot at me and, and it didn't seem like I had a health line, like I was taking damage. Um, I don't I don't know if I was just shooting their bullets at the same time, and it was canceling their shots out. Mm-hmm. But um, these were pretty easy stages, I felt like. Uh, you get some more, like, puzzle levels after that. And then the last stage, you have another boss stage here. And this time, you are attacking the giant brain. It's kind of funny that the the brain resembles a lot of... It looks like the first boss of Life Force. If you ever played that shoot 'em up by Konami? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big brain with an eye and it has a tentacle arm. And I'm pretty sure there were like, I'm like 99% sure they were really influenced by that game. So you, you fight this brain and then you think the game's over, but you have one more boss to fight. And now the game t- changes into a shoot 'em up. Now you're on a side scrolling shoot 'em up. Hmm. And this time you fight against the brain again. And now it's even more like the Gradius games, because it's the that brain with the eyeball and the tentacles. Now it has two tentacles, and the <laughs> arms are, like, flailing at you and stuff, trying to get you. And it also has these little, like, shields in the center of the brain, and you have to shoot the bullets to knock out, like, the different layers of the, the center of the, sh- you know, the shields until you get to the core of the brain, and then you can destroy that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, you'll see, like, asteroids and bullets coming at you, and you have the final boss of the game. Now this is... This, oh, so this is like, yeah, this is like another boss. Uh, another boss. I know. Okay. So it gets pretty intense towards the end. Uh-huh. And this guy is uh, in the shape of a bullet. And you're still in that shoot 'em up type, uh, like side-scrolling mode. And he has different attack patterns. He shoots a giant beam in the center. Uh, he'll have, like, fireballs that come out. And he also releases, like, metallic snake creatures. Very similar to the centipedes. Mm-hmm. But they're metal this time. And they'll... They don't chase you in the same way, but... They'll just sort of get in your way. They'll start, like, just moving around in the center of the screen, and they block your shots. So they sort of... And you can't crash into them because they're metal, like, obstructions. So in addition to everything else, you have to avoid these things. So if you can get past that, you're in good shape because then you'll get the ending of the game. 
Now, I mentioned that you have to collect those. You don't have to, but if you collect the, the cheese and the scones and everything, uh-huh. you can unlock different uh, arcade games. Mm. It's like an arcade mode. They give you one arcade game for free, so t- you know, if you don't collect anything. And this one's called Cheese Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, these are, are like simple, like 1980s-style arcade games, but it uses the graphical elements from the Rock Boshers game. Mm-hmm. So in this game, Cheese Dreams, it's uh, a top-down... You're not really a maze, but like sort of boxes within boxes. The corners of the screens are respawn points for enemies. Okay. So the longer you survive, the more enemies are going to be pouring out of these, and they're going to get harder. And you'll have this big block of cheese in the middle of the screen. And every time you cho- shoot the cheese, or, or go to shoot the cheese, the cheese like jumps out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it tries to get away. And if you hit the cheese, it drops a diamond. If you don't, then you have to chase it again and try to shoot it again. And if you hit it, it'll drop another diamond. Wow. So that's where diamonds come from. It comes from, well, in this game, it comes from the cheese. <laughs> and then once the cheese hits the corner of the board, um, it'll hop like usually three or four times. It Once it hits the corner of the board, then it resets and it goes back to the center. Mm-hmm. So the way to get the high score in this game is you have to, the only way you get score is diamonds, right? So when it drops the diamonds, the diamonds have a countdown. And if you can get them right when it drops it, you'll get full score. And that's and they're usually the white color. If you wait a little bit longer, the color changes to green, and they're worth less points. If you wait longer, the diamond turns to red, and then they're worth even less points. Mm-hmm. So the whole goal is to shoot the cheese, hopefully hit the cheese, it drops the diamond, grab the diamond while it's white, and then chase. you have to go chase the... Uh, cheese and then shoot it again and keep doing that really fast and repeat wow. and repeat. But while you're doing that, there's enemies all over the place. Uh-huh. So uh, these games are pretty tough. So that's the cheese game. <laughs> now, if you get five of every snack of uh, all total, so if you find like five cheese and you know five and five, mm-hmm. then you'll unlock the next game, which is called Aqua Kitty. Oh, now you might have heard of that game. I think I've heard of it. Yeah, so this company has an actual game called Aqua Kitty. Yeah. So this this level is based on their other game. Or is that one called Aqua Kitty DX or something? It is called, yeah. You have a pipe going in the center of the screen. You're underwater, and there's like a ship on the top of the screen. And you have enemies coming from the left and right. And there's also, in between the enemies, there'll be bullets and mines coming across too. Now, as you're... You don't want the enemies to touch the pipe in the center, because then they'll start... You have like um, a life bar for the pipe. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like an oil pipe or something. So you have to shoot the enemies so they don't touch the, the pipe. And the boat on the ceiling, on the above the water, will be dropping diamonds in various spots on the level. And you want to catch them before they drop to the bottom. And they're changing color, of course, as they drop. So you want to catch them as soon as they appear. And try not to... Well, number one, try not to get hit because you have a health bar yourself. So you can't get destroyed that way. And then also, you have to keep the pipe alive in the center. Oh, so hmm. if any of those... I don't know if they're like piranhas or something, but they start chewing on the, the pipe. And, and once they start chewing, so those like little piranha guys, you can kill them with one hit. But as soon as they start chewing on the pipe, they take like three or four hits to kill for some reason. They're mm-hmm. much harder. So it's very easy for that game to get out of control and you die. Hmm. Next game up is Ghost Pyramid. Now, this one you need 10 of each snack to unlock. Mm. And this one is similar to... The best I can way to compare it is to the rivet stage of Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like ladders and girders sort of thing. And uh, same way with this, you have to collect all the diamonds. Now you have... This one gets a little bit more complicated because you have respawn points for the, the enemies to come out. 
And then on top of it, you have these like little, they look like little smiley faces or like little clouds. And they're constantly wandering around the level, these like little cloud guys. Now, these guys you can't kill, you can't shoot them. So you're just avoiding those guys. There are like little power pellets across the screen. If you pick one up, you can freeze the, those little, like, little smiley faces for a couple of seconds. And that gives you a good way to avoid them. There aren't that many of them on the screen, so you don't have that many chances to do that. There's also, at the same time, in addition to all this, there'll be a UFO that'll appear on the top, uh, scrolling across like Space Invaders, Mm -hmm. and he'll be shooting at you and (laughs) dropping missiles. If you destroy the UFO, you'll have a a shower of diamonds that come down from the top of the screen. If you collect all the diamonds, the board will reset into the next stage, and then you get harder respawning enemies. So Mm -hmm. every, the longer you stay alive, the harder it gets. That's Ghost Pyramid. Now, the final board, final arcade game is Bosteroids, Bosch, it's called. <laughs> Let me guess. Yeah, you would think it's like Asteroids, but it's not really. Uh-huh. This one you need 15, so you have to collect almost all the snacks on the game to get this one. And, and you were able to do that throughout the game? Yeah. yeah. I, well, I had to go back after I beat it mm. and then do some of the levels to get it, so it took me a couple of tries. So this one's modeled after, I would say more like R-Type. It's a side-scrolling shoot-em-up style, like a Gradius R-Type sort of thing. Oh, interesting. Very simple graphics, though. Like, no fancy... It is scrolling, but no, like... Like, everything's almost like no animation. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, a character going across the screen. You, once again, you don't get points for destroying anything, but you do get points for diamonds that you pick up. Not, um... Some asteroids, when you destroy them, there are asteroids in the game. But not, um, not all the time. Some asteroids will drop diamonds. Some ships will drop diamonds. You can pick up some power-ups. What is it, like an option, I think it is, uh, like from, from the Gradius games. Mm-hmm. There's also a twin shot you can get. Pretty pretty basic, though, as a shoot 'em up goes. And uh, I think there was a boss at some point. Um, there's a big ship you fight. Like uh, this, I don't know if you remember R-Type on stage three. There's that big green ship. That you have to like that flies up and down, and you have to try to avoid it. Mm-hmm. So you have a version of that on this level. It's it's a little bit more. This game is a little bit more fleshed out than some of the other three arcade games, but it's still pretty basic. I didn't get too far in that one, but that's kind of those games. I would say I have mixed feelings about this game. I I really appreciate the the heart that went into it, mm-hmm. and I and the art style and everything, but um, the character moves really slow. And the bullets move really, really slow. Like, when you shoot, your bullets are big, but you can... It's almost like Space Invaders, where you can't shoot multiple bullets. you got to wait for it to go across the screen. Mm-hmm. So you're shooting, and then you're waiting for the bullet, like, to, you know, get to its end point, And then you can shoot again. And when a game that's moving sort of frantic, and, the, and it's like... You know, think of, like, um, Robotron or something, where there's, like, so many enemies on the screen. And you can shoot... You have to shoot really slow. <laughs> it's, like, sort of frustrating, I felt like. Mm-hmm. Uh, also... All your guns in the game, you get like three guns, I think, in total you can find. And they're all limited ammo, except for your main gun. They uh, they have a very short range. So, you know, think of playing Robotron, but with a short range. You know, that's only like a couple of pixels in front of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of thing. Not as much fun. No, not as much fun. And, uh, you know, the dialogue, not that there's a whole lot of it, but on some of the boards, like when you fight a boss or something, every time you die and you restart it replays all the dialogue again. You have to, like, skip over it. Mm. And, you know, some of the stages, I died eight or ten times, maybe, and I had to, like, skip over those little, like, talking points every time, which, you know, sort of annoying. The snacks on the level are not clear. 
like I like I didn't even understand if every level had one or not. Or I had a, I actually looked online to find out. I'm like, how do you find all these snacks? Like I didn't know where they were, but. Oh, they're actually in they're, fixed, fixed locations? They're in... They are... I think they're fixed. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. there are definitely three per level. Like, I wasn't sure... Because they don't tell you. So, I wasn't sure if it was just... You know, some levels have three, some don't. Yeah. But um, I thought that was annoying. Because that's why I had to go back. Because if I knew that the first time, I would have spent more time, like, looking for those things. Mm-hmm. Other than those complaints, it's an okay game. I think, like, a couple hours, you can get through it. I, you know, like I said, I appreciate the whole retroness of it. And... You know, for what it was. If you can pick it up for like a dollar or two, I think it's worth checking out. But as a game as a whole, I don't think it's like overly great. I don't think it plays that great. Mm. And you play it on PlayStation 4? PlayStation 4, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's okay. Sounds like you get a lot of value out of it, though. With all these well, you're right. Games and That's stuff. what I'm saying. Yeah. You definitely, right. It's your arcade games. But you know what it is? They're so, they're so basic uh-huh. that I feel like there's so many other retro games that do the same thing sure. and do it better. Like, is it the best use of your time? <laughs> I think you know? just, they're really just bonus items, I like, suppose. Are you playing this just for the sake of, I, f- I like feeling that nostalgic feeling, or are you playing it because it's a good game, mm-hmm. you know? Right. But, yeah, for, 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 if you can get, I think I paid, I paid under five for this game. You know, I, it was during a flash sale or something. And you do get quite a bit for your money, but um, it's, it's very basic. Yeah. Hmm. So, that was my game of the week. <laughs> Not bad. Well, I, well, I'm busy playing games. You're doing pickups. Yeah. So I hear. Well, that's true. Uh, I did get a couple of things this week. Uh, I, I picked up a Wii U game that I've been looking for for a while. I didn't know you were looking for a Wii U game. <laughs> Do you even turn on that machine? Uh, not often, but that doesn't mean I don't have gaps in the library that I'm trying to close up. This is like, what, 10 games for that machine? This is uh, Let's say this is one of the 10. Okay, what could this possibly be? I can't imagine. Uh, Although, wait, no, I'm going to, wait, let me guess. Wonderful 101. Uh, not yet. This one was Pikmin 3. Which, oh, okay. Which I've been on the hunt for for a little while. Mm-hmm. And luckily... It's almost a year now since you moved uh, I don't know why I didn't... I, I, I feel like I was waiting for the game to kind of drop in price for a bit, because it mm-hmm. wasn't something I necessarily wanted to play, but it just looked like a good game if I gave it a chance. I know you're shaking your head and you're saying no, but people seem to like this game. I know, it, people it, do like that It game. did get to the it's third game. game but yeah. Well, the game went out of print. Basically, supplies dried up, mm-hmm. and it was kind of hard to find for a while. Yeah. There were no new copies on, on the shelves for sale or anything like that. So it kind of disappeared, and really the only time that I saw an opportunity to get one was... Maybe if GameStop had one of their, you know, like, buy two, get one free kind of sales. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, GameStop does follow the market price for a lot of the, their games. And this game, they were actually selling for fifty nine ninety nine as a used game. Yikes. <clears throat> so it it held its value, it seems. What was it new? Was it really well, even it was, that much new? It was, you know, that's, that was the I normal. I can't imagine that's a $60 retail game. That's the normal price for a lot of... Wii, Wii U games, oh. yeah. Huh. I mean, especially I know that like that Toad game was was thirty nine. Well, that one was came out for less, and then okay. some other games are forty nine. But this one was, I mm. think, a fifty nine dollar game. Okay. Either way, it's so uh, I kept waiting. Maybe I can get it for like thirty if I combine sure. it with some other games yeah. I wanted. Uh, but then what happened was Nintendo reprinted the game. Mm-hmm. They came out with it as part of their Nintendo Selects, like like budget know, title now. Greatest, well, it's the greatest, greatest hits sure. kind of okay. a thing. And uh, they actually released it at nineteen ninety nine. So, great. I said, all right, super. And, of course, 
GameStop was forced to lower their price at that point. Well, you point. didn't want that version, though. You don't want the greatest hits version. You want the original. So, yeah, I'm a little nitpicky <laughs> so about these the, things. That's the, yeah. <laughs> of course, I could have bought a new one at $19.99 minus 20% because of my Best Buy discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would have had the, you know, the, the red border, you know, like Nintendo Select yeah, uh, cover art. But as a result of the new price for the game... GameStop lowered their used prices for the game, and now it's eighteen ninety nine or seventeen oh nine if you've got the membership card. Uh-huh. Uh, so I started looking around. I kept checking their online inventory, and it kept showing up at different stores. And by the time I would get to the store, it was either not there, or I would attempt to reserve it online for pickup the next day. And you know, the, the email would come, and it would say unable to fulfill your request, and and you know, I was never able to get one. I figured. People must be snapping these things up as soon as they pop up. Uh, so I finally found two stores in that were local that had it. I said, okay, I'm going to go check it out and see if they have it. I'm not going to call in. I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to try to reserve it or anything Never like that. Never call. Never call a retailer. <laughs> I always feel like calling is going to... Like I feel like I'm tipping them off to something right. that I want to get. I know. Because they're going to look at it. Yep. Uh-huh. I feel like the employee is going to say... Uh, yeah, we don't have that one anymore. And they put it to the side for themselves. themselves. Uh huh. No, that's like number one rule. Never call. When you have like something like that, don't ever alert them. I don't know why I feel that way. Uh No, it's true. I don't know. I don't have any well-known. I don't have any evidence that that happens. Listen, going back to like the Nintendo 8-bit days when I was searching for games, you would never call for like certain hot games. You just go there and take a chance Mm -hmm. because... You don't want, like you said, you don't want to alert them for stuff like that. Yeah. Because people, you know. Well, just because I tried reserving it and they said, nope, nope, sorry, we don't have it. Right. So, yeah. So. You know, so I figured, let me just show up and see if I can get it. Mm-hmm. So I go to the first store that has it and I, I do see it. It's on the shelf. I pick it out. I bring it to the counter and I say, you know, you mind if I take a look at the disc first? Because, you know, you know how it is with GameStop. Sometimes they'll just take anything in. They don't even really check. And I looked at the disc and I said, oh, yeah, it's a bit scratched up. And they handed it over to me and I saw like a lot of scuff marks on it. I even held the disc up to the light and I saw like a little bit of the top label was missing and I could see through Mm -hmm. the disc in one spot. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to pass on this one. I go, thanks for trying. Uh, You think that'll make a difference? Well, who knows? I mean, if it was, for example, if it was... sound like a good thing. If it was an Xbox 360 game... Uh Uh-huh. You can you can install those games to the hard drive because they support that, right? I mean, like Xbox supports taking the game from the disc and putting well, it on the hard drive. Well, they do, but you still need the disc. You still need the disc yeah. and the drive, but by installing it, you're reading in the contents of the disc. Right. Uh-huh. So, in, in essence, you're sort of testing the whole disc because it's reading the whole thing. Gotcha. Yeah. But on Wii mm-hmm. U, there's no such option. You can't just install it on the drive. So, okay. I'd have to theoretically play the game and then see how far I can get into it before the disc is unreadable or something. Mm-hmm. So I said, let me just go to the other store because there was a second store. So I went, so the person checked for me in their system. They said, oh yeah, well, there are other stores in the area if you want to try to get another copy somewhere else. So I went to the other store and the other store actually had two copies on the shelf. Now, did they alert the other store that you were going? Like- um, I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't see anything like that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the other store and... I don't think they said like, hey, listen... This is nut coming to your store. Yeah. And he's like super fussy about... <laughs> about this condition. Yeah. And everything else. Uh, no, there I don't... wasn't anything like that. Okay. I, at least not while I was there. All right. Uh, if it happened, it happened behind the scenes. 
Uh, so I, I checked out the ones that they had at the other second store, and they actually had two copies on the shelf. I looked inside both cases, and one of them had the manual, which I didn't realize there was a manual for the game because every copy that I had seen up to this point just had the little, like, the leaflets that come in the thing, like, you know, Scribed the safety warnings. Nintendo Power. <laughs> well, they had the... They don't do that anymore, right? They had the, the Club Nintendo points. Oh, they did. They said, like, if you like Pikmin 3, here's some other games you might want, you know, mm-hmm. like a little mini catalog. Uh, but one of them actually had the full manual. I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, like, because I'm so used to... gives manuals? Well, that's just it. I'm so used to, like, yeah. a lot of new games not, not even coming with manuals. A lot of times, you pop the case open on a used copy, and you're like, I don't know if this is complete or not, you because don't. That's a good I point. don't know if this came with a manual. Really good point. It's for, for collectors, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, how do you know on modern, the last, like, you know, going back to probably Xbox One, how do you know what games had manuals and which ones didn't? Right. Well... Yeah, I mean... Xbox, I should say the original Xbox. The original Xbox, they all did, they as did, as yeah. did PlayStation 2 and so on. Okay. But but as we got into the, um, let's say, the current generation, and even a little bit before that, I think some of them perhaps didn't. So, you know, a lot of them, like Vita games, for example, most of them, I mean, I think at least in the U.S., unless it's one of these boutique uh, publishers that have, like, you know, like RPGs or something special. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times they don't include manuals at all. It's it's a digital manual. It's on the cartridge. So you can access it. You can, you can pop out of the game anytime you want and look How at the manual. How do you feel about those digital manuals? Um, I'd still rather have a paper manual if I have a physical copy of the game. So I, I, I agree with not every game, but... And, and like going back to my talk last week with Diablo three, yeah, I kept the whole time I was playing. I kept wishing I had a manual in the game that I could just pop the case open, read it, and see what's going on. Right. And there's not even you know. I wish I don't know. Like I, I could see why they don't do manuals anymore, but I, I guess a little bit of of me kind of misses it, depending on the game. Yeah. Well, I think if it's like if, like we said, if it's a digital download, yeah, and especially on a portable, it, sh- it should have it at least in the game. To have, well, it's it's alongside the game because right, you know, it's it's it appears on the main on the system menu. Like you can flip over to the menu, but not all manual. games have that. On the Vita, for example, they do. Okay. You know, for the most part, they they bundle it in. I think on uh, PS4, I don't think has that. Uh, probably not. No. Uh, Some games might. I think. I think recently I did find one, and all it does is take you to like a website, mm-hmm. which is like how to play the game. But yeah, which is well, not the best. Way if you're either. if you're of the type to still buy physical, and you have a physical case and a disc, I feel like a manual should go with it, just because it's almost like. Like, I, even if I'm not going to sit and read the manual, I feel like it's at least, like, a, almost like an art book or something, you know, like, like, it's just an example of, like, here's some, some tangible aspect of the game that I can sort of look at and appreciate on some level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't even like it when the internals of a manual is, is printed in black and white. It has, like, a color cover, but then everything else is black and white. And I, that kind of is a bit of a downer, too. On the modern stuff, though. Right? Uh, on the mod, on like a, mean, a lot of a lot of manuals. Coleco, I think all their games were black. And well, white. all right, but I mean, even like PlayStation Three, for example, like a lot of those games, you'd you know you'd have like a, a a color cover, but then inside, it's almost like a black and white photocopy of yeah. <laughs> of the contents of the manual. So yeah, so anyway, I, I I ended up looking at the disc at the second store, and it was super clean. I mean, it was like a pristine copy, basically. I, I really feel like like I had to have a really good copy of it because I had to be able to justify buying a used copy of the game over getting the the brand new like reprint sure, version yeah. because they were essentially the same cost. So they did drop the price to meet 
even though it's the older version, they met the price of the current version, like the yeah, well, printed version. You know, it's it's what GameStop usually does. Yeah. It's a dollar or less or They're something. They're not going to charge like the collector's price. No, for that. No, they don't okay. distinguish between the different printings. Even though of it probably the game. has different SKUs, doesn't it? Um, it probably it, does. If you look on their site, yeah, it, they actually the, all the Nintendo Select stuff actually says Nintendo Selects presents mm, whatever. Okay. You know, so they do technically have a different skew for it but i guess they don't enforce it in terms of their pricing like they don't they don't distinguish it in terms of charging more for like a first run copy of the game versus you know because a lot of times even other games that have like a special edition that come with an extra code or something they don't they don't bother with that well what about like bayonetta like the so the original had bayonetta one and two that's right but the reissue, the greatest hits version, or whatever mm-hmm. they call it, Nintendo Selects, yeah. only comes with Bayonetta t- 2, and that's it. Well, so Bayonetta 2 didn't get a Nintendo Selects like, branding oh, no, on it. it like it, does, it actually doesn't have that. Oh, okay. It just doesn't have the copy of the first game on it. Um, but so would you know on a shelf the difference between the two copies? Uh, I don't know if it's like If you were in a store... Printed. Well, so if you're in a store and you see a new copy of the game, yeah. you can tell them apart because... The one that has the first run copy that mm-hmm. has the Bayonetta, Bayonetta 1 included has like a little black sticker on it that says oh, includes okay. full, you know, like first game or, you know, it'll say right, it includes okay. the first, you know. Because it is a separate disc, right? It's It comes on two discs. Okay. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's just like a sticker or if it's part of the artwork. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a permanent part of the game, but uh, you can certainly check if you see a used copy at GameStop, you can certainly see if it came with two discs or one disc. Okay. But I don't know if they charge separately for that. I haven't bothered to look that one up. Luckily, I got that one when it first came out, so I don't have to worry about that game. Yeah, but you could have got it so much cheaper now. Uh, I got it pretty cheap. Yeah, no, you didn't. I got it during, like, Black Friday sales. Yeah, that was a while ago. Combined mm-hmm. with my... That's why I thought you had all these games. Uh, yeah, Pikmin 3 slipped past me. And I think there was an option to choose it at one point during one of the fancy Best Buy, like, Black Friday... 40% mm-hmm. off super deals, you know? Yeah. Um, how I missed it, I don't know. I guess I didn't think that it was just going to disappear like the, like the way it did. But at least you still got it for a decent price? Yeah. And you said, so you said it's, it's pretty much new condition? Uh, yeah, it looked, looked great. I mean, no complaints. Complete, uh, no scratches. Uh, you know, it looks almost new. Which will probably stay that way because you'll never play it. <laughs> I don't have any... It'll remain new for the rest of your life. <laughs> I don't know when I'll play it, but I know I wanted it to complete my my Wii U library. You'll probably have a digital version of it in an emulator by the time you ever get around to play it. In 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 a holographic like display <laughs> yeah. or something. That's right. I'll have I'll have a, probably like a tabletop version of Pikmin three where I can where I can play it in real three D. Maybe <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't doubt it. We'll see. We'll see in E three. Uh huh. So that was my major pickup. I had a minor pickup as well, mm. which I'll throw in. Throwing in a deuce this week, I see. Yeah. So I I noticed this on Walmart site. Uh, Walmart. It's a three DS game. This is Epic Mickey Power of Illusion. Yeah, this one's been... This one's been deeply discounted recently. For, recently? For a long time. For a while now. It? It's an old game. It yeah. came out a long time ago. I think it came out in 2012. Um, so this is sort of... I mean, even though it came out alongside Epic Mickey 2, uh-huh. this is this is a 2D 
platforming style game in in the spirit of the original Castle of Illusion games and, and that whole Illusion series. Okay. That's why it's called Power of Illusion. Uh, but technically, it's not a direct follow-up. It's, it's not, not one of the Illusion games from... It, it's Strictly speaking, it's not. It's not from Sega, obviously. <laughs> but... Um, well, it could be. Sega makes 3DS games. Uh, yeah, but I mean, in other words, this game is not Sega. Oh, I see. Okay. Published by Sega. Mm-hmm. It's not developed by the, Se- the team within Sega that did the original Illusion games. Mm-hmm. This is published by Disney Interactive, obviously. It doesn't even look like Mickey. Do they change how Mickey looks now? Like like a modernized version? <laughs> uh, this he looks, looks like, different. This looks like a 3D rendered Mickey. Yeah, I don't like it. But I don't think it looks this way in the game. I think this is, you know, this is like, follows the art style of of the Epic Mickey games. Okay. Um, but, I don't know, for five bucks, I figured, let me just see. Yeah, I noticed a lot of 3DS games are getting deeply discounted right now. Mm-hmm. Probably a hint of things to come in the next couple of months. Yeah, who knows? With new technology coming out. <laughs> we'll see what that turns out to be. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed um, consoles, like the 3DS XL and stuff, being heavily discounted. Mm-hmm. Not not the brand, brand new ones, but the, like the, what is it called now? The new Nintendo 3DS? The new 3DS. So just the XL or 3DS the XL. regular one. Yeah, I guess they want to clear out probably the older one. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out soon enough. Excellent. All right, why don't we wrap up with some feedback? Then? All right, yeah. What do we have? Do we have anything? To say? We had some comments on our last episode. Mm, Actually, excellent. one uh, reasonable amount of commentary from uh, Greg Pollander. Talked about episode 76, about um, the things that you know we covered there. That was the one where we talked about Metal Gear 2. Yes, and Greg, is uh, he's got the SNES podcast that That's he right. does. So if there's someone who knows about Super Nintendo games, it's definitely him. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, uh, first of all, he says, great episode, guys and girls. Lots to say about this one. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, First of sorry to hear about the Apple problems. He says, I don't like Apple and their policies and their products, but I will say they have great customer service, perhaps the best in the business. Of course, you pay that much for their stuff. You hope that they, you do. Um... Yeah, so I guess we did manage to sort out at least some of the problems, not all the problems. Um, I don't know. I don't think of Apple as like a premium platform necessarily. I don't buy into it because I, I'm i looking for like extra service on their stuff. I just think of it as, hey, it's a platform that's got unique stuff. I, of course I have to get it. <laughs> that's kind of how I look at it on a personal level. Mm. Um, but anyway, he goes on to say, really enjoyed hearing Leon cover Metal Gear 2. I also played this game for the first time on the PS2 version, included with Metal Gear Solid 3 subsistence, Mm. when I bought it back when it came out. I really enjoyed it, though it was even better than the first game, which I also really like. With a better plot, more interesting characters, and some great breaking the fourth wall stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. It, uh, definitely seemed like a step up compared to the, the first game. So I thought it was a pretty quality playthrough. Uh, He goes on to say, In regards to why it never got ported to the NES, most companies of the time kept their computer and console lines separate, and Konami was no exception. Also, it was pretty rare in 1990 for any computer games to get ported to consoles. You start to see that happening in the early 90s with games like SimCity, Civilization, Populous, Syndicate, and others. I guess that's true. I mean, especially in 1990, the Super Nintendo was looming... So I yeah. guess there wasn't any rush to create to think. new NES titles at that point. 
even though there were some some you know there were some late releases, but I think they were probably in the pipeline for a while. There, there was RPGs sometimes made it over, like Shadowgate, The Uninvited mm-hmm. made it to NES, The Ultima, even right. though not all of them. I think Ultima Four, whatever it was, there was King's Quest on Sega Master System. Mm-hmm. But now he's kind of right. I mean, there really weren't that many computer ports until you know, like SimCity and Populous and all those. So, yeah, yeah. It's true. Yeah. Especially on a computer system like MSX, which wasn't even, you know, on the... I'm, I'm sure at the time, most people did not know that it even existed, <laughs> you know? Unless you were really into buying, like, you know, EGM or whatever magazines were at the time mm-hmm. that might have mentioned it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he goes on to point out, 1990 was the peak year of the NES in both sales and titles released. Some of the best games came out that year for it, led by Super Mario Bros. 3. Yeah, I guess uh, that's probably why a lot of those games, I, I, even Super Mario Bros. 3, I never even bought because I already moved on to Genesis, and Nintendo games looked so mm-hmm. lower quality, yeah, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it's probably other people who thought that, who knows. Right, so he says, uh, as for Leon playing additional Metal Gear games, all five of the Metal Gear Solid games are connected, so I wouldn't start that project unless you wanted to play all of them. Well, I do own all of them, so I do hope to get to them at some point. Um, probably won't be all at once or all in a row. Yeah, it's a lot of hours, I think, mm-hmm. from what I've heard. Yeah, but uh, I guess I'll you know start small and see where it goes. Uh, he says, if you wanted a pixel-based Metal Gear game, another one, check out the amazing Metal Gear Solid, a.k.a. Ghost Babble, on the Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. I did remember that one coming out. I do not remember this one. It's a remix of the PlayStation game created by Kojima at the request of Konami huh. in Europe. And the game is incredible for the hardware that it's on. And it's standalone, so no pressure to play a bunch of the other games. Finishes up with saying, keep up all the great work. So, thank you, Greg. I, in addition to the SNES podcast that you mentioned, Greg also hosts PlayStation Power. Uh-huh. Which uh, is, of course, a PlayStation and PlayStation 2-themed podcast. So... Definitely look those up. They're both on iTunes, and I believe the SNES podcast is also on the Retro Junkies network, along with our podcast. So you could find a link there. Yeah, I'm checking out this Ghost Babble game, Mm -hmm. and it does look like the original style of game. Yeah. Yeah, well, Game Boy Color. I guess it's going to be about as good as it can be on that system. (laughs) True, true. But I noticed that the colors that he uses reminds me of Metal Gear Solid from PlayStation. Like a lot of the, it has a lot of gray. Okay, like I gray want to tones. see like one screenshot right now. But okay. Yeah. Good yeah, advice. I might, I might try that at some point. It looked, mm. it looked interesting. There's a lot of stuff on Game Boy Color that's actually pretty good. Now Game Boy Color was basically Game Boy, but with the ability to do like more like 16 color or something like that, or. It was still a very limited color palette, but yeah. it was more... I mean, those it wasn't Game Boy GBA Color yet. games, didn't they work on the original Game Boy? Or were they only... Were, no, some of them only worked for Game Boy Color, and then right. some were backwards the, compatible. I believe the black cartridges were Game right. Boy Color only. Uh-huh. Yeah, like Rampart, um, 720 maybe. There were a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's worth checking out. Uh-huh. All right, well, I guess we'll... Wrap yeah, it up thanks. here, and I guess we'll see everyone next time. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye.